Ruth chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12, and it will be a marriage at Bethlehem. And if you've been with us as we've been going through the character studies, we, we're seeing how Boaz wanted to marry Ruth, and Ruth wanted to marry Boaz, but there were some preliminaries that had to be taken care of before that marriage could, could go through. We learned in our last study that there was a nearer kinsman redeemer, or also called a closer relative, which I'm probably going to use for short for nearer kinsman redeemer. But uh, there was a closer relative, a, a nearer kinsman redeemer to Naomi than Boaz, who had the first right of refusal to redeem the land of Elimelech that Naomi was selling, and also to marry Ruth. So this kinsman needed to be notified. He had to know that his rights to do the redeeming work was his right now so that he could decide if he wanted to redeem Elimelech's property. So if he didn't, Boaz was the next in line to perform the duty of the kinsman. And he couldn't marry Ruth unless the nearest kinsman gave up his rights to do this redeeming work. So let's begin now in chapter 4 with verse 1. And it says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and he sat down. Because the redeeming of Elimelech's property, which also included Ruth, was a legal matter, Boaz went to the city gates where the legal matters of the city were taken care of in that day. The city gates were the place where all matters were settled, where all transfers were made, where all business was conducted. And several places in the Bible show the fact of doing business in the city gates. There would be room in the open square by the gates for the people to gather and to conduct their business. Boaz wanted this matter of redemption to be done the right way. He wasn't going to do anything illegal in marrying Ruth and getting the property, which again shows Boaz's character. So Boaz went to the city gate to take care of business the right way. When he got to the gate, he did two things to get things ready to do the advising about the redemption of the land and marrying Ruth. First, it involved informing the kingsman, the closest relative to Naomi, the one who had the first right of refusal, if you will, to redeem the property, which included Mary and Ruth. So the close relative had to be called by Boaz to inform him of his right and to take care of this matter of redemption because he didn't know anything about it. So calling the near kinsman, he comes, he sits down next to Boaz, but as we see, his name wasn't mentioned. Now, God may have not mentioned his name as a kind of judgment for, as we'll see, refusing to carry on the name of his deceased relative by redeeming Ruth. And so, let's look at verse 2 now. And he took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, Sit down here. So they sat down. So before Boaz began doing any business with the closer relative, he chooses some men to witness the transaction that was to take place. First, he needed witnesses. 
All important business transactions needed witnesses of some kind in order to verify the transaction uh, and to make sure that it was proper and that it was legal. This was to protect both parties in the transaction so that, the, so that if one of the parties tries to break the deal after it's been made, the witnesses would then force him to keep his word or else he would experience the judgment that would, that would follow after. So those who don't want witnesses, again, are, are not trustworthy. Second, notice the number of witnesses, which is important. Boaz chose 10 men to be witnesses. And the number 10 in Scripture emphasizes the law from the fact that there were 10 basic commandments given in the law of Israel, the 10 commandments. So Boaz was very careful about what he was doing. And this is the, again, this is more proof of his good attitude over the whole situation. The third thing Boaz did, or we see in Boaz, is the decency of these witnesses. It says the witnesses were elders. That means they were elderly in years, they were full of experience, and they were men who had position and authority in the city. And that's why they were sitting at the city gates because they would be good witnesses to the business transactions that were taking place there at the city gates. So here now, we look at the offer that Boaz made to this closer relative concerning the situation that needed redeeming by a kinsman redeemer. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 now. Then he said, that is Boaz, then Boaz said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold a piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I, Boaz, will redeem it. So he's telling the man, the closer relative, hey, you're in line to redeem this property and to, marry, and to marry Ruth. So tell me if you want to do that, if you want to take the right. If you don't want to, then I will do it. Boaz was very polite in telling the nearer kinsman, the closer relative, about this piece of land. And in verse 4 in the King James Version, it says, I thought to advertise, I thought to advertise thee. Now, in the New King James here, it says, I thought to inform you. Now, the word advertise is translated from two Hebrew words. The first word means to reveal, disclose, publish, remove, and uncover. The second word means <clears throat> ear. So together, the two words literally mean to uncover the ear. And the picture is to push back the hair or the hair covering of another so that you could speak in the ear. These words show us again that Boaz was, was not trying to hide anything from the, next, the, the closest relative. He wanted to lay everything out on the table to show his integrity. He wanted Ruth as his wife, but he wouldn't marry her or get the land you know, through a shady deal. He wanted to let the closer relative, who it was his right, to know that he wasn't trying to rip him off. The piece of the land in the offer, in verse 3 was when Elimelech's wife came to Bethlehem from Moab. After he died, she was very poor, and she wanted to sell some of the land to help herself out. Now, a kinsman would have the option to buy and redeem the land, and all that was involved in redeeming 
which in this case involved Mary and Ruth, and to raise up children with her for her dead husband, the son of Naomi. And all the details of the problem aren't given to us in the book of Ruth. But there's enough details to show us that Naomi had a need of redemption of some property in the family. The availability of this land is another example of Elimelech moving to Moab. He moved to Moab to make a profit, but all it did was cause him loss. And the point of this is, and the lesson is, anytime we leave the place where God wants us to be, in order for us to gain, to profit in the world, we're going to end up losers. Look at verse 4. The first part of verse 4. And I thought to inform you. Notice, I thought to inform you. We see Boaz again insisting that everything be done above board regarding this situation. He says, I thought to inform you, I wanted to tell you. He didn't want anything to be done in secret. He didn't want anything to be done deceitfully, but done for all to see, including the law. He didn't do this just because of his integrity, but also because he, wanted, he didn't want there to be any stain of any kind on his marrying Ruth on this whole deal uh, with the, uh, you know, if the, the closer redeemer, the closer kinsman refused to, to take this first right. And the point here, again, is if we can't be above board in our dealings and we're wanting to hide things when doing business, it shows dishonesty and deceit. And we need to remember that even though we can hide things from people, we can't hide anything from God. Jesus said in Luke 8, 1, 8, 17, For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. We can't hide a single thing from God. The Lord can and does reveal it whenever and wherever to whomever He chooses, and we'll be ashamed. Look at the second part of verse 4. He says, I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. So he says, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it. I am next after you. So Boaz lets king, uh, the kinsman know he's the first in line in the privilege of purchasing this property as a kinsman redeemer. Boaz is second in line. He says, I am next after you. This would be hard for Boaz to tell him because, you see, he wants to marry Ruth, but he's a good man of character and he's honest and he recognized immediately that this man was ahead of him. He was in line as the next, the, the closest relative, the next kinsman redeemer. And a lot of character is revealed in acknowledging our place in line, figuratively speaking or, again, uh, for real, so, the flesh always wants to be first in line. And we see this often, Matt, in stores when people are shopping or, you know, at a sporting event or, or you know, trying to get a parking A brother of mine and I were talking about that in a parking lot when, you know, you're waiting for a spot and then somebody comes and gets it. Man, hey, you know, I was here first and, and you know, we'll, we'll do all kinds of crazy things to, to keep that first right. But again, in this sense, again, Boaz didn't want to stain that relationship by doing anything you know, that, would, that would cause it to be you know, a, a blemished. So again, a Boaz wasn't like that. He didn't care that he wasn't, you know, he didn't, wasn't going to hide that, that he was uh, not, or he wanted to be in the, in the front. So he, again, he had character. 
And he would stay in this place in line because that's where he was. There was somebody in front of him and he'd leave him alone. It's a humbling position, but it's also an honorable one. Look at the, again, verse, the first part of verse uh, four again, the last part. He goes on to say, he says, he says uh, there is no one but you to redeem it, and after you I am next. And he said, I will redeem it. The nearer kinsman was interested in the property and promised to redeem it. But we see that this man, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't being totally honest when he promised to redeem this property when he learned that the property was available the nearest kinsman that is the closest relative promised right away to buy it but he did notice he didn't take time to think about it he just jumped at the chance to buy it because he wanted to buy the piece of land from naomi and looking at the context here of this promise which we'll see shortly that the quickness makes the promise suspicious of greed he saw an opportunity to add to his possessions. The nearer kinsman liked the idea of owning more property. His eagerness to buy this piece of land showed, that, showed his poor character in his promise. Because in his promise to buy the land, notice there's no thank you. There's no sign of appreciation. Hey, Boaz, I really appreciate you letting me know, informing me that I had this right. You know, you could have done this without telling me and I probably would have never known. But he didn't show any appreciation or th thank, uh, thank Boaz for letting him know about this opportunity. The nearer kinsman's lack of gratitude shows his poor character. So after he was told about the opportunity, you know, he at least should have showed some kind of thanks to Boaz. But again, like a lot of greedy people, they're not appreciative to those who help them to make their life better. So after the nearer kinsman redeemer accepted the chance to buy this piece of land from Naomi, which she was selling, Boaz tells him now about the other part of the obligation that came with buying the field. He says, oh, by the way, you need to marry Ruth too. But when he learned about this, he wasn't so excited about buying the land. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, on that day, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate or to carry on the name of the dead through his inheritance. Boaz tells the nearest relative that Brian, buying the property also included marrying Ruth and also raising up children with her. To keep the name of Melon, her first husband, to keep the name of the line alive. This was the lever at marriage. This was the part that was involved with redeeming the piece of the land belonging to Elimelech, which Naomi was selling. So the property of Elimelech went to his sons when he died. But when his sons died, they had no one to, to, no one to inherit the property. So children needed to be raised up by at least one of the wives of the sons. Ruth was an eligible wife for a leveret marriage. Again, she had, been, she had been the wife of Milan, one of Elimelech's sons. A leveret marriage to a kinsman redeemer which produced a son would give heir to the property. So the buyer of the property must accept the leveret marriage with Ruth to raise up an heir for the property. Normally, the leveret marriage was performed by a brother of 
the deceased. But when that situation wasn't available, then the closest relative was eligible to perform the Leveret marriage. But when that nearest kinsman heard he had to marry Ruth, if he bought the land, all of a sudden he got cold feet. He said, hey, I don't want the land if it involves Mary and Ruth. Verse 6. And the close relative said, I can't redeem it for myself. Notice, lest, he's making excuses now, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So the near kinsman tells Boaz and all the people at the gate, I can't buy the land. You know, if he has to marry Ruth, he's saying, I can't buy the land. He said that if he married Ruth, it would corrupt and ruin his own you know, estate and his name, which was a phony excuse. Because when we look at his selfishness, we see the real lesson, and that is he didn't want to marry Ruth. He just didn't want to share his possessions with her. Because if he married Ruth, he'd have to spend his own wealth to take care of her. And the land that he redeemed from Elimelech would have to be left in the name of Ruth's former husband. But marrying Ruth wouldn't have been unprofitable for him. Because you see, it would have put him in the line of Christ. And it would have given him a wonderful blessing that money could never buy. No one ever loses when they include Jesus in their life. The problem with the kinsman redeemer, the nearest relative here, was that he wanted the land, but he didn't want Ruth. So this shows the evil principle that says possessions are more important than the soul. This man was more interested in the material than the spiritual. And, and in anxiously reaching out for the things of this world, again, uh, he's not interested in spiritual things. He's interested, interested in the things of the world. And here, we're going to look at the selfishness of this nearest kinsman, which clearly says, hey, I'm not interested in buying the land. Notice in the expressions he said there in verse 6, for myself and for yourself, they're significant. The closer relative doesn't hide the fact that he's only interested in and interested as long as it would do him good. And he also thought, man, you know, if Boaz was willing to perform the obligation, that it would be for his, himself, his own interest. He didn't know that Boaz loved Ruth. You know, he didn't know it was that kind of love that, that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 13. Love seeks not its own. Biblical love does what's best for others. Boaz knew that Mary and Ruth would increase his expenses and lessen his inheritance. He knew that. But he was still willing to share because of his great love for Ruth. Love makes us unselfish. And being unselfish doesn't create loss in our life. Only greedy people think that, 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 that loss comes by being unselfish. The gain, the gain Boaz got through Mary and Ruth can't be measured by how much one possesses. Because again, it's beyond measure. The blessing of being an ancestor of Jesus Christ can't be measured you know, in dollars or silver or gold. But the selfish nearer kinsman was afraid of losing you know, by marrying Ruth. When in truth, he would have gained a lot more beyond measure. Verses 7 and 8. 
Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. Here's another one of those strange customs that every culture seems to have when finalizing a business deal. Now, these customs often symbolize actions by the parties involved in the business deal. Today, for example, we sign papers in front of a notary public who notarizes the signing of papers or certifies them. Some people only shake hands. But in Abraham's day, the parties involved in a business deal or a covenant or a treaty of some kind, they would take some animal, they would split it in two, split it in half. They lay the pieces you know, of the animals in two separate rows, and then they'd walk between them to show the official agreement of the matter. But here in Ruth's situation, it involved a person's shoes. The person who sold the land or gave up his right to be the kinsman in buying the land would take off his shoes. He'd hand them to his friend that he's making the deal with, which says he freely gives up his right to walk on the soil in favor of the person who now bought it. So here the closer kinsman did this with his shoes. He gave it to Boaz symbolically in front of the witnesses there at the gate, saying he was giving up his right to redeem Elimelech's property, including marrying Ruth. The shoe that walked on the land was taken off, passed to another, seems to say that all claims on said property had now been passed from one to the other. The kinsman redeemer was forfeiting his privilege and turning it over to Boaz. Now, since the nearer kinsman gave up buying the land and Ruth, Boaz could now purchase both, and he did it quick and in a hurry. <laughs> Boaz, the nearer kinsman now, represents the difference. Between, you know, again, the Bible always shows these, these wonderful illustrations. Boaz and this nearer kinsman represents the difference between law and grace. The nearer kinsman was like the law because the law couldn't redeem the soul. But Boaz, in acquiring the land and Ruth, represented divine grace, which, unlike the law, can redeem. In the nearer king's kinsman and Boaz, we see a number of illustrations of the work of the gospel of grace in saving one's soul. In order to buy the property and Ruth, Boaz had to be a kinsman of the owner of the property. And we've seen this truth all along in our study. The privilege is a great example of the necessity of why Jesus came in the flesh. Before Jesus could redeem us from our sin, he had to first come to earth and be born into the human race. We read in Hebrews 2, 14 through 17, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Christ, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest 
in, these, in, in things pertaining to God to make propitiation or atonement for the sins of the people. The incarnation of Christ was absolutely necessary for him to be qualified to redeem us. Look at verse 9. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Milan's from the hand of Naomi. So the purchase of all that was Elimelech's and that was Chilion's and Milan's, his sons, wouldn't co- it would cost quite a bit. It would cost, again, what it cost isn't given and it doesn't need to, to be to realize that it cost Boaz quite a bit to buy because it was all they had. It was the whole inheritance of a family. Plus, taking Ruth as his, as his wife meant added costs. And, and, and I'm not trying to be funny, but when you get married, it, it, it does cost. It is, it is more. But, you know, again, Boaz knew this and was willing to get married and to take on Ruth as, as his wife and also to have children with her. Ephesians 5.29 says you are to nourish and cherish her as a wife, which, again, means you are to protect and to provide for her. You are to take care of her. And that's what Boaz was doing. And with children coming, also from the marriage of Boaz and Ruth, more and more expenses would be incurred. And again, children, you know, they cost as well. So again, it, 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 it is a, a costly thing. And again, I don't mean it in a, in a disparaging way or, or to be funny. It, you know, it is, it, you know, but again, we, we are, we're, as a husband, you know, taking on a family, it is costly. And again, we need to understand that going in. But Boaz was able and willing to pay whatever it costs because he was a mighty man of wealth. Ruth was not able to redeem herself. She was a stranger. That is, she wasn't a a part of the family of God. She was a Moabite. She was a stranger and she was poor. She didn't have the means to bring about her redemption. But because of Boaz's great riches, he could redeem her and the land. And the gospel gives us the same message in regards to price, what it costs for salvation. When it comes to redemption of the soul, the price is so great that no one, no one is able to redeem themselves just like Ruth couldn't redeem herself. The psalmist said in Psalm 49, 6 through 8, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them them can by any means, listen, redeem his brother nor give God a ransom for him for the redemption of their souls is costly. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold for your aimless conduct, from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but you were, notice, you were redeemed with precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The word precious means uh, uh, you, uh, you can't put a price on it. You cannot put a price on the blood of Jesus Christ, what it cost him to redeem us. Only the blood of Jesus Christ is worth enough to redeem the souls of men from sin. Because of His blood, Christ can take us out of spiritual poverty and He can make us spiritually rich in Him. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. What a wonderful God we serve. Look at verse 10. And he goes on to say, Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Milan, I have required as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are my witnesses this day. So the driving force behind Boaz, what motivated Boaz to do what he did uh, for all of this redemption was his great love for Ruth. That was the motivation, the driving force behind the father, again, giving his son his great love for us. That's what makes this story so great. Boaz, he's not grudgingly rescuing Ruth. He's not doing this because he feels such an obligation or I have to do it. He, again, he's not grudgingly rescuing Ruth and, and Naomi from their poverty. But his rescue of them is motivated by a great love. Both the love of God the Father and Christ the Son are very obvious in the salvation of men's souls. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 5.2, it says, also, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Ephesians 5.25, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Notice, each of those verses all give the word gave because of his love. Love is giving. It's giving. It's giving all that you got, just like Jesus did for it. He gave all that he had. Because of his love for us. All three of those verses all end with Christ's love being the driving force behind himself, behind his giving of himself. Deuteronomy 23.3 says, An Ammonite or Moabite, notice, an Ammonite or Moabite, Ruth was a Moabite, shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. The law said an Ammonite and a Moabite could never enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the death, 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. So you see, Ruth's marriage to Boaz gave Ruth a privilege that was normally not given one of her race. Moabites and Ammonites, descendants, who were the descendants of Lot, were excluded from the privilege of being a member of Israel's congregation. But Ruth was an exception. And it was even more grace that allowed her to be an ancestress of Christ. She was given grace upon grace. Grace fills the whole story of Ruth. Redemption of the soul is filled with grace as well. For by grace you have been saved. For the grace of God that brings salvation, being justified freely by His grace. Just like the law shut the door on Ruth, or all Moabites, from ever coming into Israel's congregation, heaven's door is closed to the sinner. But the key of grace opens that door wide to the sinner who comes to Jesus Christ for salvation. Uh, pieces from verses 5 through 10. 
You must also buy it from Ruth, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Milan, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Again, so I picked out you know, parts from verses 5 and 10 uh, here just to get to the heart of, of the, what has taken place. The purpose of the redemption of the land and Ruth was to perpetuate the inheritance of Elimelech's family. It was to raise up the name of the dead. It was to carry on his name. It was to give life to where death once reigned. And again, this is a great picture of the purpose of the gospel. The work of the gospel is to give life to where death reigns. Where we would die apart from God because of Jesus Christ, we can live forever. Again, a great purpose, a picture of the purpose of the gospel. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Romans 5.17, Paul said, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance from grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Back to, looking back at verse 10. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Milan, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Notice that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are my witnesses this day. Notice it says the widow of Milan, I have acquired as my wife. Ruth's status was greatly changed by what Boaz did, by his redemptive act. Her position and her possessions increased greatly. She became the wife of a very prominent and wealthy man. You can see the picture there. Once she was a lonely handmaid of Boaz, but now she was elevated to Boaz's wife. Once in poverty, she is now put in riches. And all of this pictures the great changes experienced by those who are redeemed by Jesus Christ. The position and the possessions of the sinner dramatically change when they get saved. Salvation takes the condemned sinner and makes him a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a bride of Christ. Salvation takes the sinners who are in spiritual poverty and makes them heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, Paul said. Look at verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the window of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his, inter- his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses to this, uh, of this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. So Boaz says, you guys are witnesses to what took place this day. I bought Elimelech, Ruth. 
I have required her, I have acquired her as my wife. And all the people who were at the gate, he says, all you elders, you are my witnesses. The proof of Boaz buying Elimelech's property and Ruth for, him, for his wife was, was more than enough. Not only did the elders and the legal witnesses, the ten witnesses, give testimony of Boaz's redemptive work, but so did all the people who were there who made up the crowd who was watching the proceedings. And the redemptive work of Jesus Christ has plenty of witnesses as well. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He, Christ, also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. 1 Corinthians 15, 5-7, And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. There are so many historical and archaeological proofs that back up the claims that Jesus made. There are plenty of skeptics, but they're not skeptics because there's no evidence or testimony about the truth of Jesus. They are skeptics because they're wicked and they have rebellious hearts and they choose not to believe. In spite of all the proofs, they still say otherwise. The people who witnessed this redemption at the city gates, the redemption of Elimelech's property and Ruth, prayed a great prayer for Boaz and Ruth after the act took place. A prayer wishing the new couple well. The prayer mentioned four things. First, it said in verse 11, The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. This prayer was a blessing for Ruth, for God's favor upon her that she would be important like Rachel and Leah who built the house of Israel. Rachel and Leah, like Ruth, were of a foreign and heathen origin, but they were grafted into God's people like Ruth was. This speaks again of God's divine favor. That prayer of the people, they wanted Ruth to have this same favor as Leah and Rachel. They wanted her to be favored by God to the extent that she would build up the family of God. So the prayer was answered because Ruth was greatly favored because she gave birth to a son who was an ancestor of Jesus. And that certainly did some building because upon Jesus Christ, the church was built. The second that, uh, a part of the prayer was for fortune. Verse 11 says they prayed that, may, that you may prosper in Ephrathah. Ephrathah is another name for Bethlehem. And the word worthily used in the King James Version in this text it's from the same Hebrew word translated wealth in chapter 2, verse 1, referring to Boaz as a mighty man of wealth. This part of the prayer is for wishing Boaz prosperity in Bethlehem. The third thing that we see in the prayer was for them to, to be famous in Bethlehem, for fame, according to verse 11. It said, be famous in Bethlehem. It means to obtain a name, and he did. Boaz did become, uh, uh, obtain a name, and he did become famous in Bethlehem and through the ages because of his redemptive work. His willingness to redeem the land and Ruth put Boaz's name in the Bible, which has made him very famous as we see tonight. But the name of the nearer kinsman, we didn't even know his name. He was, you know, again, he, he refused to do the work of redemption. He's totally unnamed totally unnamed, unknown. The name of Jesus, like the name of Boaz, has also become great because, again, of his redemptive work, because of Christ's willingness to 
to be made our Redeemer. Paul said, Therefore God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. They got this fame from doing the work of God. Boaz got the fame. Jesus got the fame for doing the work of God. Hey, it's the best and most lasting fame of all. And it doesn't destroy character like the fame that the, of the world. And the fourth thing that they prayed for in verse 12 was fruitfulness. Look at verse 12. May your house be like the house of Pharaoh's, whom Tamar, Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So the last part of this prayer is talking about fruitfulness. The fruitfulness of Boaz and Ruth uh, uh, and, and Ruth's children, again, multiplying greatly. And Perez, or Perez, was one of the twin sons of Tamar who gave birth to them as the result of playing a harlot with Jacob. Boaz was the descendant of Perez. He had a lot of descendants, more than any others. And his house was more numerous and well-known than his twin brother, Zerah. Already at the numbering in the plains of Moab, there were three chief houses of the sons of Perez to one of the sons of Zerah. So wishing that Boaz and Ruth be like Perez or Perez meant the people were wanting Boaz and Ruth to be very fruitful by having many descendants. The biblical, in closing, the, the, uh, the people in Bible times, they saw children as a heritage, as a gift, as a reward from the Lord. We need to have that same perspective today. Father, we thank you again for the picture that we have here, Lord, in Ruth of the kinsman redeemer, Father. Again, the picture of Jesus Christ who redeemed us, God, from being totally lost, Lord. And Father, it's only through Jesus Christ that we can be redeemed. He's the one who takes us out of the poverty of sin into the riches of the kingdom of God. So Lord, may we seek Christ with all of our heart, soul, and mind. May we confess our sins. And for those that don't know Jesus Christ, may you confess your sins. Confessing to Christ that you are a sinner and to seek forgiveness of those sins and to be washed of those sins and be filled with the Holy Spirit and that he may give you a new life, a new start and that you would begin to walk with him and thank him for dying on the cross for you. So Father, we thank you for all that you've done, Lord. We pray now that you be with us as we go our way. Be with those that will be leaving God and and take care of them out of the wet, rainy roads, Lord. Get them home safely, Lord. And Father, we look forward to meeting with you again. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.